The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Um, if you have a Bible, we are in uh, the very end of Luke chapter 8. Um, it's great to be with you this morning. And um, let's see, we're at the end of Luke chapter 8. I'm going to read our uh, story for us, and then we will uh, get going in, into this together. Um, this is effectively um, kind of capping off Luke chapter 8, not merely just the last few verses, but uh, we will use this as an opportunity to kind of look back through the chapter and consider all that Jesus has been doing here. So, I am in Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 40. You remember last week we talked through how Jesus calmed the storm uh, on the waves with the disciples and then healed the demoniac, um, the man who is possessed with uh, demons. So here we have, picking up in verse 40 about the life of Jesus in, verse, uh, in Luke chapter 8. Now when Jesus returned... The crowd welcomed him. Just as a, a comment, this is Jesus returning to um, Israel territory. He had gone into Gentile territory. He's returning back. And they were all waiting for him. And, they came, and there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had only one daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately the discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surrounds you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceived that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she had was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came to him and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. And all who were and all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they all laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he just directed that someone should be given something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed. And he charged them not to tell anyone what had happened. Father, as we read these words of Jesus about who he is and what he's like and what he's done, 
I pray that you would help us, assure us of his nearness to us by the Spirit, and that we would feel safe with him. So it's in his name that we pray and ask for your help to understand these words. Amen. I think as I have gotten older, or continue to get older, um, I'm beginning to understand myself a little better. I was talking with somebody um, this morning recently about how we understand our ourselves, our mental health, how we begin to kind of calibrate as we get older and realize like, oh, all those things that I thought other people struggle with, I struggle with them too. Um, and for me, I think that's in the last few years, I've begun to understand what it feels like, how to articulate what I feel when I feel overwhelmed. I'm not sure if you could articulate what, you, what your experience is when you feel overwhelmed, but for me, it's this tunnel vision of just like, I can, it's almost kind of like hyper-focus in a particular location and everything else kind of almost becomes like static around me. I begin to have very kind of like obsessive, detail-oriented thoughts of how I can fix things, that sort of thing. Uh, physically, I feel very like tense, and it's almost kind of like once I, I don't notice it until I'm relaxed that I can then kind of like, I won't do it now because I don't want it to get on the microphone, but like you like, you know, you stretch and it's kind of like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like those sort of like, you don't realize like how tense you are. We're going to look through this chapter. We're going to focus on these two ladies here in this story, and then we're going to zoom out for our third point as we kind of process this chapter. But as we've worked through this chapter, I just want to remind us who we've seen. We've seen women who are disciples of Jesus and a missionary uh, who joined him on his mission. We've seen Jesus talk through the sower and the seeds and talk through what that means, that it's not just Merely do you respond to his word, but how do you respond to his word in various phases of life so that you are producing fruit in obedience to him? We've talked through him walk, him uh, taking a journey to the uh, outside of Israel with his disciples, taking a nap in a boat during a storm, and him calming the waters and the waves. We've seen him land on the other side and immediately be assaulted by a demon-possessed man whom he heals and then returns to his neighborhood to tell people about what God has done to him. And then here in this story, we drop in as these two emergencies kind of coalesce at the same time, where he heals this woman of a, of a discharge and he, he raises a little girl from the dead. And in each one of those situations, I think we can say whether it's on the storms or whether it's someone not experiencing the medical help that they want, or somebody's child who's dying, or just a regular humdrum of joining Jesus on mission, um, life, it seems, in each of these stories is overwhelming. And I think it's something that each of us can kind of lean into. And in the midst of all these stories, we find Jesus himself patiently, carefully, lovingly welcoming each of these people into his family. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at this, we're going to put up the main point here, and we're just going to look through this passage together. So here we have the main point of this story. In the uncertainty of life, faith ties us to the safe heart of Jesus. And the uncertainties of each of these stories, I think we've seen, and we're going to see this in, the, I think, these final two stories, life is incredibly uncertain. But in the uncertainties of life, each 
one of them offers us an opportunity to have faith in Jesus, not because our faith is so strong, but because of who Jesus is in the midst of these, as a place for safety and stability in life. So we're going to pick up here in verse 40. We're going to look at how faith returns us to peace with God. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him. Right? As we've worked through the Gospel of Luke, I think each of us um, might have begun to pick up that the crowd is not a good, like the, the crowd is a character through the Gospel of Luke, and the crowd increasingly becomes a negative term. You know, it's not, it's not necessarily positive, and it's not like they're the worst, but they're not, the crowd is a character you can't trust. You increasingly begin to not trust in the Gospel of Luke. And here, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. Now, just to remind you, these are probably similar people who are also going to be jeering at Jesus as he tells them, I'm going in to heal, raise this girl from the dead. So just to kind of point in the passage, this is not a sense of trustworthy people. But they welcomed him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. Now, the point here to pick up as we kind of process through this is that the clock is ticking. Jesus almost virtually steps on the ground, out of the boat, crowds come to him, and it's like somebody starts a timer, emergency situation, we've got to get to Jairus' daughter. Like that, it should raise our sense of, okay, we're, there's an emergency on hand. Like, I don't know if any, I hope you haven't, I assume that you have had to get to the ER, <laughs> whatever the reason for going to the ER it's you got to get there now, right? Time is of the essence, and we don't have any to waste. That's the sense from these opening sentences that we want to have as we go into these next verses. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. Uh, I don't like crowds. I don't know if you love crowds, but people press. I, I, a part of the reason I, I like living in Manchester is that while it's a small city, I don't have to like shuffle through crowds to get to work or anything like that like I would do like when I visited Boston or, or especially like Manhattan or something like that just like that claustrophobic but that's the sense here and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and though she had spent all her life her living on the physicians she could not be healed by anyone she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately the discharge of blood ceased and Jesus said, who is it that touched me? When all denied it, and Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, no, 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 someone touched me, for I, I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, falling down before him, and declared in the presence of all the people what, that she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well go in peace. Now, there's a lot to unpack here that I want to kind of circle back on. But one critical thing here is that in the Old Testament law, any, any woman who had a, mis a discharge of blood, right, menstrual cycle or whatever it is, they had to be removed from the community as a part of being ritualistically unclean and purified and re-rendered into the society. So this woman has had an experience of having that happen, not just for once a month or whatever, but for 12 years, an unending situation. I don't know what the details are. I don't want to be gross and try to figure out what it was. We don't really need to know. It was 12 years of something that caused her to be 
removed from society. But the critical part, did you notice who Jairus is? In verse 41, and there came a man named Jairus who was a ruler of the synagogue. So just to kind of like, as you, any of your TV shows where you're like, oh, like I know like the details behind these characters, Jairus might have been the very person who told this woman she had to be removed from the community. Just to kind of raise the tension of this passage. So when this woman comes into the society, in, into, into town, whatever the context was, right, she's not merely transgressing, oh, I shouldn't be here. And she's not merely kind of having to fight through, these are people who removed me from, you know, that sort of sense of beef, whatever you want to call it. But here is the ruler of the synagogue who, whether he enjoyed it or not, throughout his, he was the one who had to, to remove her in accordance to God's law, to be from the community. He was the one in an emergency situation that she is having to then kind of like pile drive through this crowd to interrupt his emergency, right? I'm just trying to raise the sense of, of urgency in this passage of this is not just kind of like some miracle that happened during a parade. There is some serious relational beef going on here, and none of it's necessarily resolved. But she has to go through this whole crowd because she has had this experience of unending medical debt, right? I don't know what your medical history is. I don't know how your pay medical insurance works. It seems like a racket to me. But whatever it is, we can all relate to in one way or the other, having medical expenses that just kind of rack up. And here she is of 12 years of medical expenses that has sucked her dry. While she has been, get, she has been daily reminded, I'm not a part of these people. I'm excluded. I can't get help. I mean, talk about her own, just what is going on in her head. I think we can all relate to it's overwhelming. She's desperate. And she is just making a beeline. I mean, it's like that little pinprick of light at the end of a very dark tunnel. She is just beelining for that. And it's Jesus himself. And she's just going to do whatever it takes to get healed. So here she is. She touches the fringe of his garment. Not, she doesn't even like pat him on the shoulder, right? She doesn't even need to get his attention. She just, well, we don't have like, I guess if you like wear like trench coats or like flowing dresses or it's something that like, I don't wear clothes that have like frills around. Like I'm a very type A, like everything's in its right place type person. But here she just kind of like touches and she's healed. But Jesus doesn't let her stay there. Isn't it interesting? Peter is kind of incensed. He's kind of like, Jesus, who do you mean touched you? Bro, do you know where we are? <laughs> like, I mean, you can kind of, it's, it's stated politely in the Bible, but you kind of get the sense of Peter kind of rolling his eyes at Jesus, kind of like, Jesus. <laughs> to Jesus, right? <laughs> right? And here he has Jesus himself, being like, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about all these crowds. I'm talking about somebody who has intentionally wanted me for who I truly am. So he basically stops the show. Now, I want to remind you, there is a girl 
who is 12 years old, who is about to die. That basically, we're running to the ER and Jesus stops to talk to somebody at the corner. Just remember that the tension settles in here. And then you add Jairus, this woman, all that stuff. And Jesus is kind of like, I know there's an emergency over here. Somebody, I think Jesus probably knows it's more for the benefit of this woman. He pauses everything until she realizes the gig's up. I can't get, there's, I, I've got it. he's the teacher. He not he just miraculously healed me of this thing that I've given everything to try to solve in my life. Everything else didn't work. This immediately solves a solution, solves a problem. So she, you know, comes forward, falls at his feet, and I just to to look at these. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, and declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Now, we read over these verses very quickly, but I don't know if you've ever had kind of like almost like panic attack situations where you're kind of just like overwhelmed by that sort of thing and then trying to talk through that and then explain to somebody what's going on and then try to rationalize everything that's happened and how and why and everything. So we read over these verses very quickly, but if that's ever been you or you've been friends with somebody in that situation, how long does that take? 30 minutes, 45 minutes, it, it takes some time. So again, just to kind of like, the, the passage is drawing out this whole emergency of this little girl over here while Jesus very intentionally sits and lets this woman explain. You can imagine all the catharsis and the healing that's happening here. She hasn't talked in a crowd situation, let alone talked to these people in any meaningful interaction for almost over a decade right? After a year, you're kind of like, okay, maybe it'll happen next month. After two years, okay, this is becoming a problem. After 10 years, like all that time, here she is unloading, explaining, witnessing to all that she's experienced, and Jesus gives her the space. He clears this whole parade of people around him who are so excited about who Jesus is and this miracle worker, and here's this woman who's experienced a true miracle because she gets Jesus for who he is. And he gives her space to explain all that's going on. See, I, I draw all this out just to, to emphasize this is the heart of Jesus. So that when he says to her, after all of this explaining everything that's going on, everything that's been said, telling everything that's going on, he then turns to her and you can Feel the force of these words. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. You can imagine all the other things that Jesus could have said. But did you notice? It's not, I got you, girl. Nothing like that. Just notice, even in the term, daughter. Remember how we talked about earlier in chapter 8? Who are the family of God? Who are the family of Jesus? Not his mother, who was trying to come and get him to get him in line, or his brothers, who were trying to wrangle him under control, whatever their reasons were. It is this woman who has seen Jesus for who he truly is. Life. And his response 
peace. You can imagine this cuts right to her heart and it cuts right to our hearts. We in the midst of our lives, constantly trying to find solutions to our problems, constantly trying to find solutions that will fix things, constantly giving ourselves even for good things. Like I'm not even trying to say that it's like sex and drugs and rock and roll type stuff. I'm just saying it's just a whole slew of, I mean, it's not like it was a bad thing for her to go to the doctors. It just didn't work out. At the end of the day, she sees, I get Jesus. And Jesus says, go in peace. It's almost as though Jesus gives her the space to not merely be physically at peace, but to then be spiritually at peace, daughter, and he's given her the space in the community of God. You're now at peace. These people who had rejected her, he has now brought, he's given her the space. I think this is, there's a lot to just, I, I, I throw these things out there just to try to say, take these and meditate on them this week. See where God gives you some clarity, insight, or even is, is there specifics that he wants to get your attention on. But isn't this incredible in this story? The way of finding peace with God is in this woman finding Jesus, and then he gives her the space to tell her story, to tell all, unload all of what happened. And you'll notice, just like we've seen already in this gospel, I really want to know what happened next, but we just move on to the next thing. <laughs> like, I want to know, what was the conversation between this woman and Jairus after it was like, I mean, I want to know what was the conversation, what happened? Also, let me just pull on this because it's going to relate to the, to the story of this little girl next. She is unclean. She is now making everybody else around her that touches her unclean, and she is making Jesus unclean when she reaches out to find healing. Jesus, you'll pick this up when we talk about the girl, allows her to give him her uncleanness so that he can give her his peace. That, to me, sounds like a safe Jesus when I'm all over the place. Okay, we're going to move on. Not only does faith return us to peace with God, verse 40, 49 to 56, faith awakens us to life with God. All right. Had the emergency situation. Remember, I just want to draw this tension out. We've had the emergency situation. This whole thing, I mean, how long has this story happened? It took maybe an hour, 45 minutes? I, I, I don't know. But I'm just going to assume at least 45 minutes while this little girl is over here potentially dying. For Jesus to make space for this woman to give her story, to be healed, to be restored to the community and to God. And now we come in, verse 49, and find out the worst possible news. While he was still speaking, so while he was saying, daughter, all of that, someone came to the rulers, from the ruler's house and said, so you can imagine, here's Jesus having this interaction we just talked about. And while this is happening, Jairus is over here on the side. Okay, come on, we, we you didn't have wristwatches back then, but you know what I mean. Right? And they had like a sundial on their wrist. But you know, like, Jesus, come on. And while the worst, 
your daughter's dead. Leave the teacher alone. Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were, understatement, amazed, and he charged them to tell them, tell no one what had happened to them. So we've been talking about the drama of the situation, and I want you to pick up on some parallels that have been going on as well. Do you notice Jairus fell down before Jesus? This woman that we just talked about fell down before Jesus. This woman's blood condition was 12 years. This, woman, this little girl is 12 years old, right? Um, so these stories are interlinked. And here we have this woman, or the girl being told to Jairus, his daughter's dead. And frankly, you kind of read verses 50 and 52 and you're like, Jesus, like, do you not know how to read the room, man? Like, what is your deal? Verse 50, right? And Jesus, hearing these things, answered them, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. I mean, I get being like, hey, like, we believe that God's going to heal somebody, but like, bro, saying to, a, to the father of a little girl who he's just gotten the news that she's dead, don't worry, only believe, she'll be well. Uh, I mean, it can just feel kind of like insensitive. Verse 52 as well. Do not weep, he says as he's going in the house. She is not dead, but sleeping. <laughs> it's like going to a funeral and being like, don't worry. Jimmy, Jimmy, get up out of the casket, Jimmy. <laughs> You're like, who is this crazy person at the funeral? Please get them out now, right? But what's the difference between me saying that at a funeral and being charged with being a crazy person and Jesus? It's kind of like how my kids can call my bluff on things, right? Once they get past like five or six, like they know when I like say like, I'm going to make your life real hard. They're like, whatever, dad. <laughs> the difference is that I can't raise somebody from the dead. But when Jesus says it, he is the life of God himself. And so when he says, don't worry, he's making a statement not about how, like, how to diminish somebody's emotions or to mitigate somebody's experience, but to say he's saying something about himself, right? When he says, do not fear, only believe, she will be well. The difference is that it's Jesus who's saying it and not me. Similar to like when I text you something and you can't read tone unless you know me, it's similar to that here. Right, when Jesus says these words, it's powerful because he can make it happen. Me, if I show up at your funeral, unfortunately, it's unlikely that you're going to be resurrected from the dead. Jesus, however, should he say that? It's a different story. When Jesus shows up to this little girl's room, 
where she's dead. I want you to notice verse 54. And taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. I want to put up this verse here from the book of Leviticus. It helps give us some insight here. And the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, No one shall make himself unclean for the dead among his people, except for his closest relatives, his mother, his father, his son, his daughter, his brother. You see, touching a dead corpse made somebody unclean. They should be removed from the, from the household of God, or set outside until they made themselves clean. There's a provision to allow you to make yourself unclean to touch a family member, basically. So you'll notice that Jesus walks into this room, and this little girl who's probably starting to go cold touches her hand. And it's not merely that he's like, I'm going to touch them to do a miracle. I think what's in view here is from Leviticus 21. Even this little girl, 12 years old, who knows what her life of faith looks like. She is a daughter of the kingdom. And he touches the hand of a dead family member to raise her back to life. And he takes on her uncleanliness, being a dead corpse, so that she can have a new life of God himself. See, now Jesus and healing people and restoring to him, restoring them to his kingdom, he's taken on uncleanliness twice in this story. That is the nature of the gospel. After this, we turn to chapter 9. At the end of chapter 9, Jesus starts walking towards the cross where he takes on our sin and death so that we can receive the resurrection life of God himself. So it's, it's in dramatic story here, what we will see at the end of Luke. You see, when Jesus walks into the room of a dead girl, he sees a dead family member that must be raised to life. He receives her uncleanliness. She receives his life. And in his presence, death, our greatest fear, is but a nap. Right? This is basically like waking up a little child after a nap, afternoon nap. Right? I think we've all had that experience or been that. This is Jesus. And the uncertainty of life. Faith ties us to the safe heart of Jesus. Our uncleanliness, whatever that is for you, it doesn't separate us from him. It doesn't put him off. It's almost as though Jesus doesn't particularly care. He's moving towards people who are at the extremes of life, right? Somebody who, you've got this woman, how old she is, early 30s, old enough where she's an adult who's been an adult for 12 years. So, We'll say 32. And we've got this little girl who's 12 years old, dead, financially destitute, unable to be a part of society, dead, certainly not able to be a part of the living. Both Jesus uh, pursues to renew them to life. He doesn't stop there. He is not overwhelmed by all of the excess in our life that just doesn't make sense. He is the new life of God and brings us to God himself. So I want to end by kind of reflecting a little bit on this chapter. You guys cool with me? I feel like it's kind of hot. 
You guys? Liam's in a sweater over here. <laughs> I mean, it looks, sorry, I, I won't rant on that. It looks like a great sweater. It reminds me of the one, uh, <laughs> sorry, pulling myself in here. <laughs> so we've seen these two stories. I want to step back and I want to put up on the screen a summary of this chapter. I think we're going to look at it. Faith sustains us when fear is overwhelming. I'm pulling that from where Jesus says in verse 50, do not fear, only believe. I think this is a bit of a summary statement about all of these stories here in chapter 8. Right, we have three women who are named as missionaries with Jesus in verses 1 to 3. Verses 4 to 16, you have the parable of the sober and its explanation. And verse 16 to 18, we have where Jesus said, be careful not just what you hear, but how you hear his word, how you hear it. Verse 19 to 21, that's where his family um, are those who hear the word of God and do it. Verse 22 to 25 is where Jesus with his disciples calms the storm, right? Calms the winds and the waves. And then he says to his disciples, where's your faith? Calling them back to himself. See me for who I am. Verse 26 to 39 is where Jesus heals the demoniac. Go and tell how much God has done for you. Verse 40 to 48, Jesus heals the woman with 12-year condition, right? This blood thing we talked about. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And then 49 to 56, at the very end of the chapter, Jesus raises his dead girl to life. Do not fear, only believe. But don't tell anybody what happened. I think in each one of these, we begin to, begin to see who Jesus is. I think one way we could read this chapter and walk away frustrated is if we look at all, we look at all these miracles and say, okay, I understand that Jesus is doing things for other people, but like he's healing other people. And here I am just in the humdrum of life. Why isn't he doing X fear in the, fill in the blank miracle for me? Because you'll notice in each one of these stories, it's not really about the miracle. I mean, the miracle is there just to kind of basically provide a platform to show you this is who Jesus is. At the end of the day, the miracles are great. We all pray for miracles. We're going to continue to pray for miracles. We ask God answers in his own way. I, I don't get to determine what God does. These exist to show who Jesus is, not what we can tell him to do. And you'll notice in each one of these stories, everybody is increasingly overwhelmed. And yet in the middle of them is the main character, Jesus, who is patient with disciples who don't understand him, who incorporates men and women into his mission, who is not freaked out by the darkest realities of human life with demonic possession. Right? He's not overly concerned when people bring their biggest problems and heap them on him. He is not even pushed off by death itself to bring his peace and life to people. It's, it's helpful for us to see because it means that all different types of people can come to Jesus, right? Christianity is not an invitation to an ideal, Christianity is an invitation to a person, right? There are morals and things that we hope for, all that, sure. But that the heart of it is this man himself, Jesus Christ, 
who can raise a dead girl from a nap and heal a demoniac from possession, calm the storms, and listens and cares to, cares to hear your story to renew you to the peace of God. You see, this is the type of person that we're talking about. This is why we're all here. And I will just comment, I don't do Mother's Day sermons. I, I'm sorry if that's what you expect from me on Sunday mornings on Mother's Day. But I will make one comment from this passage. Did you notice at the very beginning of chapter 8, there are three women, not merely passively mentioned, like, well, there were three women. Did you notice that at the very beginning, they are named? Very beginning of chapter 8. Afterwards, he went through cities, villages, proclaiming and bringing good news of the kingdom of God. And there were, the twelve were with him. That's the apostles, right? And some of the women all who had been healed from evil spirits and infirmaries, Mary called the Magdalene, from whom the seven demons had gone out, Joanna, the wife of Chesa, Herod's household manager, Susanna, and many others were provided out of their own means. There are three women who are named. It's, it's uncommon for Luke to name people. You'll notice even in the story of Jairus, he's mentioned once as Jairus, and then he's continued to be mentioned as the husband or the father. Jesus cares about the place of women in his story, in his church. You notice it's three women who are mentioned after a story of a woman whose faith he commends, and at the end of chapter 8, we have two women that he specifically goes out of his way to heal. And the only other men who are mentioned in the story by name are the apostles in a passing way and Jairus himself. I think, as a connection to Mother's Day, the point here is to say, Jesus is living out what he said in Luke 6. People who do not have power and authority are the ones that he blesses and loves and enjoys to commission in his life. I can just say, my observation is women and mothers tend to be kind of a problem in the church. Jesus values and delights in the women that are around him who love the kingdom of God. He has named them. He has called you. You are not outside his heart. He delights to bring you and unfold you into his purposes. Okay. Is that making sense or am I, commission, am, I, am I confusing things more? Nick says yes. So if you have a problem, you can talk to Nick. Off shooting things to him. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Let me just end by saying this. All the people in this story, none of them are the people that we would expect to find. They are just people who are just like you and me. People who are overwhelmed by life, who don't really get it who don't have all the answers, who don't have all the solutions, and yet Jesus comes to each of them and brings them into his family and makes them a part of his work. The expansive heart of Jesus from this chapter is safe for each of us. And he is delighting to know, redeem and renew each one of us, not because of anything that we do to get his attention, but because of who he is. So let's pray. Father, as we've looked at this passage, I pray that you would help us to go forward and meditate and think about the goodness of Jesus to us.
help us to enjoy who you are and to experience the safety of Jesus' heart while life is overwhelming and unpredictable. Jesus himself is safe and secure. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.